So today we will switch from the metta meditation to vipassana meditation. <coughs> and when I say switching to vipassana meditation, we must understand that there are many ways of practicing vipassana meditation. It's just not it's not just only one standard way we can practice vipassana meditation. Already within Burma, there are different approaches to vipassana meditation. One method that has become well known is through Goenka, that has spread uh, to India, to the West. But then there is also the method based on Mogok Sayadaw's instructions or Sundlon Sayadaw's way of practicing Vipassana meditation. We also have Mahasi Sayadaw's way of practicing Vipassana meditation. <coughs> and then in other Asian Buddhist countries, they have their way of approaching Vipassana meditation. Just to name a few, in Thailand, the Thai forest tradition, how they approach vipassana, or in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there uh, they call it Mahamudra, which is one way of practicing vipassana, or Dzogchen, or then in the Japanese Zen tradition, again, different approach to vipassana meditation. So what I will present you now is the method based on Mahasi Sayadaw's approach, which I have been practicing for many years in Burma with mainly Sayadaw Ujjanaka or Chamye Siyadaw, who was a disciple of Mahasi Siyadaw. So I will give an overview of how to practice vipassana meditation in the form of this intensive retreat. And I know many of you, almost all, basically all of you have practiced vipassana meditation before. Some of you are very experienced. You've practiced it for many years, for many decades. But still, I think it's good to hear these instructions again, just to remember certain things that may have been uh, forgotten a little bit. And also, that's what I usually find, that hearing these instructions again, I hear them differently each time, because in between I have been practicing and have had more experience and so based on more experiences, deeper experiences myself, then I hear these instructions like new or I hear them differently or then it makes more sense. Ah yes, now I really understand why um, I should do it this way or why I should know it, not do it that way. 
And also because different teachers present these instructions uh, differently. Even though they base themselves on Mahasi Sayada's method, again, different teachers lay stress on different uh, things. So, Vipassana meditation, it's usually translated in English as insight meditation or also mindfulness meditation. When we speak of insight, so what is meant is that through this meditation we should get insights into the true nature of things, insight of how things really are, or to get insights of these processes happening in body and mind. And so getting insight into the workings of these processes in body and mind, this leads to understanding and this leads to wisdom. And it's this wisdom path that finally leads to liberation, to become free from greed, hatred, delusion. So this word vipassana consists of two parts. Pasana means to see clearly, clear seeing. <coughs> and V apparently means various, different, and it is, it is explained that it refers to the various or different general characteristics there are. Many of you know the three general characteristics of uh, phenomena. They are anicca, dukkha and anatta. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self-nature of things. So basically vipassana refers to clearly see the three general characteristics of existence. To clearly see and understand these characteristics that everything is subject to impermanence or change, everything is subject to dissatisfaction or suffering or unreliability, and everything is subject to not-self. Everything is of an impersonal nature, or there is no inherent um, entity <coughs> that is substantial and everlasting. No substantial entity like a I, me, or ego that could have an absolute control over this mental and physical phenomena.
So in order to see things clearly, to see these three characteristics of existence very clearly and to understand them deeply, there is one quality which is very important in this process. And that's the quality of mindfulness or sati. And because it's such a basic and important quality in the practice of vipassana meditation, that's why vipassana meditation is often also referred to as mindfulness meditation. So mindfulness is important, but it's not the only uh, important quality. And I will talk about this later on in this retreat. So in order to see clearly what is happening in this body and mind, we need to be mindful. We need to be aware. We need to be present. And so the whole process of practicing vipassana meditation could be defined as to be mindful of whatever is happening as it is in the body and mind from moment to moment. To be aware, to be present of whatever is happening as it really is in this body and mind from moment to moment. So this can be taken as the most general instruction for the Vipassana meditation. Just to be mindful all the time of whatever is happening within this body, heart and mind. To be mindful of it as it really is and from moment to moment. Of course, this is a very general instruction and it's helpful to have more detailed instructions of how to practice it. (coughs) And in this regard we can divide the practice within this retreat into three aspects. We have the sitting meditation, We have the walking meditation and we have the mindfulness of daily activities. And all of these three aspects of practice are equally important. It's not that the practice of sitting meditation is more important than walking, And it's also not that sitting or walking is more important than being aware of all the different activities that we have to carry out throughout the day. So if I talk about these three aspects in a certain order, starting with sitting, then with walking, and then with the 
mindfulness of the daily activities. It doesn't mean that I go from the more important aspects to the less important aspects. It's just out of convenience. So let's begin with the sitting meditation. We do it in a sitting posture. And so this can be on the floor with the legs crossed. Doesn't need to be the full lotus position. What they call the Burmese posture is for Westerners very helpful, which means to have the legs side by side on the floor. So no need to put one leg on top of the other as in the half lotus, and also no need to put each leg on top of the other uh, for the full lotus position. So to have the legs side by side, one a bit closer to the body, the other uh, next to it. And then, because Westerners are usually not used to sit like this on the floor, so usually the knees do not touch the ground, and so some cushions, something can be put there to support the knees. And also one can take some cushions to sit on, to raise the body a little bit, so that uh, the upper part of the body, the back, can be upright and straight. Otherwise, the back might be slumped a bit, little bit, and so if we uh, sit on something, it kind of shifts the hip, hips a little, little bit forward and that helps to be in an upright, straight uh, posture. The hands can be resting in the lap, one uh, hand on top of the other with the palms facing up or they can be put on the legs, on the thighs, the knees. So whatever posture of your hands and arms feels comfortable, meaning that especially the shoulders can be relaxed and that there is no strain. As I said, the upper part of the body should be upright, straight, but not in a rigid way, not a tense way, kind of relaxed and finding a balance of the body not bending forward too much or <coughs> backwards, not slanting to the side, but kind of finding the middle position where more or less the body can rest uh, in itself. And the head is in line with the spine it's usually good to have a long neck, the chin a little bit tucked in that stretches the neck so then it's not this posture where kind of we block the energy flow between the head and the body. Then the eyes are gently closed, just very relaxed and comfortable.
So that is the posture. Of course, one can use a meditation bench as well, or sit on a chair, except for the position of your legs, which is a bit different. Uh, all the other things also apply to sitting on a bench or on a chair. And so then, when we have settled into our posture, then <coughs> we start to be mindful of these processes happening in the body, heart and mind. As I said in the general outline of Vipassana meditation, to be mindful of whatever is happening as it really is in this body and mind from moment to moment. And when we are mindful and aware of all these different processes happening within, we notice many different things. There are thoughts, we hear sounds, there is an emotion, there's a tingling sensation, we feel joy, we feel frustration, then we feel heat and there's a pain and another sound, and this and that. So, many different experiences are happening while we are sitting. And so, each of these experiences can become the object of our mindfulness. And basically, it's the most distinct experience or object that becomes the object for your meditation at that moment. So whatever object or experience is in the foreground stronger than any other uh, object, this is what we are mindful of. This is what we carefully look at or feel uh, what is happening there. As I said, vipassana means to clearly see what is happening, be it as a physical process, something happening in the body, or to clearly see what is happening on the level of the mind, or the heart mind, as I usually call it, to include all aspects of mental experience, such as thoughts, uh, analyzing, fantasizing, remembering what all the emotional states like joy, frustration, boredom, enmity, uh, compassion, and so on. And so, yeah, whatever is the most distinct object or experience, that's what we clearly look at. That's what we feel, that's what we kind of face and notice to see what is really happening there. How does this pain feel? What's the texture of this point, pain? Or when we hear a loud sound, what's this experience of hearing 
something. So to clearly see what is happening at that moment. And so we stay with this distinct obvious object or experience as long as it is present, as long as it is in the foreground, as long as it kind of pulls the attention towards it. And we just are present with it, we are aware of it, we are mindful of it. And then we may notice that it disappears, it fades away, that's no longer there. And then we notice, ah, there is something else which is distinct right now. So then we direct our mindfulness to that object and are mindful of it, are feeling into this experience as long as this next object is distinct and in the foreground. So in Vipassana meditation, we do not only have one chosen object, but we have many different objects. Basically, the whole range of our experience can become the object for our Vipassana meditation. Nothing is excluded. Sometimes we may notice that actually there is nothing really distinct. No distinct object, there is no pain, there is no loud sound, there is no thinking happening. And in such a moment, at such a time, we can take an object which is always present, an anchor that we can go back to uh, all the time when nothing else is distinct. And that's the experience of the breath. And, you know, it's not the breath, the breathing itself, but it's how the breath manifests in our body, how we experience this breathing process in our body. And the experience of the breath manifests in different parts of our body. Like as we are breathing, we notice the air going in and out at the nostril, for example. Or at the level of the abdomen, we feel some movement as we are breathing. So the abdomen uh, is rising and then falling or expanding and uh, contracting, falling back. <coughs> and to be mindful of this experience of breath, it's very helpful to do it at the level of the abdomen, as the abdominal movement. And this is how Mahasi Sayadaw uh, teaches his, it in his approach. 
And then I, I have found this approach very helpful myself. First of all, this abdominal movement is somewhat more distinct and clearer than the very fine and subtle sensations at the nostrils of the air going in and out. And what I found especially helpful in this approach of having the anchor at the abdomen is the fact that I feel more grounded and it gets me out of my head. Like the sensations at the nostril is happening at the nose, in the head. And me, and I know of many Westerners, being so heady, then having this uh, object up here in the head. So staying more on the level of the head and, you know, the kind of intellectual approach, the analytical, <coughs> the rational thing. <coughs> and so it's like, yeah, staying up in the head and the rest of the body is not so much uh, aware, one is not so much aware of the rest of the body. But taking the abdominal movement really brings one into the body, feel more connected to the body, and it's lower down, closer to the earth, to the ground, so one uh, can feel more grounded. And in the Japanese Zen tradition, they use of this area here of the hara, the center, so, for all these reasons, I find it very helpful to have the anchor uh, on the level of the belly. And so, as I said, through the breathing, some movement happens, and it can be experienced as the belly is rising and then falling, or expanding, contracting, or moving um, up and down. So in whatever way you experience this abdominal movement, just be aware of it as it is happening. Notice it's rising or moving up, it's falling or moving down rising again, falling again, and so on. And so this abdominal movement can be the anchor for our sitting meditation practice, sometimes also referred to as the primary object. But again, this uh, expression may lead to the assumption because it's a primary object and the others are secondary object that the primary object is more important. It's not. So to be aware of the rising and falling is good in order to develop insights but equally good and valid uh, to develop insights is to be aware of painful sensations, of anger, of joy, of sounds, of tingling, whatever. 
another thing that Mahasi Sayadaw has said can be helpful is to use a mental label for accompanying the mindfulness of the different experiences. So, not to be simply mindful of this, let's say, rising and falling movement, just not to be aware what is happening there, but to use a soft, silent mental label to, go, to label, to name what is happening right now. So, when we feel the abdomen is rising, so at the same time we can softly and gently say rising and when the abdomen is falling and when we are aware this falling movement is happening we name it falling rising falling rising falling this mental labeling the mental note can help to establish the mindfulness on the object and especially at the beginning of a retreat or the beginning of one's practice when mindfulness is not yet so strong it can be really helpful it's like taking a, a young puppy on a short leash because young puppies they want to go here and there and run off and over here so to have them on a short leash like to have our wild um, and unruly and distracted mind on a short leash. Um, we can use the mental label. And so it's helpful to, to keep the awareness on the object to make sure it doesn't <coughs> slip off so easily. And it also kind of gives a direction to the mindfulness. Yes, it's... I'd like to have the mindfulness, uh, the focus on this experience, rising and falling, and not on something else. So it's like an acknowledgement of what we are aware of. The main point is to feel or to be aware of the experience, in this <coughs> case, this rising movement <coughs> and the falling movement. So the main point or the main focus is not the label, the word, but it can be helpful in order to be really more uh, focused, more mindful and aware of the actual experience. And this mental label cannot only be used when we are observing and being mindful of the rising and falling movement, but it can be used for any other experience or object. So like when we notice there is a pain in the knee and we direct our mindfulness to that painful sensation, 
we feel it, and we can softly label it pain, 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 and so on. Or when we notice that our attention has gone to a loud sound, then being aware of the fact that we are hearing, so we can accompany and support the awareness of hearing with the label. Hearing, 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 hearing. Or with the anger that has come up and that we are aware of. Anger, anger, anger. Or with the joy that has arisen, the happiness. Happy, happy, or joy, joy. Or when we notice the mind is thinking, planning. So then we can accompany the awareness of this thinking process with thinking, 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 or planning, 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 or remembering, 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 and so on. And especially in the case of thoughts and emotional states, the label can help that we rather stay with the experience of anger, joy, thinking. So rather stay with that actual experience rather than going into the story of the thought or the, the anger or uh, that we go and analyze why I am angry and why has this thought arisen. So just, it helps, yeah, be present with the anger as, a, as an experience. We do not need to investigate why this anger has arisen or why um, I feel so happy right now. But it's important that we are aware of the actual experience which is happiness or anger or thinking, to see it as it is. So, this is how we uh, should practice in the sitting meditation. And you know, when you start your sitting meditation, when you've settled into your posture, there might not be one distinct object uh, present. So then you can start with the mindfulness of the experience of breath, like the rising and falling. But if you sit down and immediately there is a strong emotional state or uh, a very itchy sensation on your arm, then by all means, just go to that emotional state. Just go to that itchy sensation. And then, when nothing is really in the foreground, then go to the abdominal movement. So there is no need to, to cling to this experience of rising and falling, to cling to the experience of 
the breath. Then the second aspect in our Vipassana meditation practice is the walking meditation. And basically the same instructions apply as, it, as for the sitting meditation. One thing that is obviously different is we are not sitting, but we are walking. And so in the walking meditation, our anchor for our mindfulness is the movements of walking. So it's not the experience of the breath. We do not need to pay any special attention to the breathing while we are walking, but our anchor or primary object is the movement and sensations that are happening in walking. And also in the walking meditation, any other object that arises and becomes very distinct and is in the foreground, so this object can also become the focus for our awareness in the walking meditation. So for the walking meditation, we choose a place where we can walk up and down, back and forth. So we choose our walking meditation path. Can be about five meters or 10 meters. And then we just walk, walk back and forth all the time. In order to not get too much distracted in the walking, because we do it with the eyes open, it's good to lower the eyes a little bit, so not to look straight ahead into the distance, but to lower um, the eyes to look about two meters ahead of us on the ground. So we also see then um, where we walk. And it's important that you only lower the eyes and not the head. Sometimes um, then people think, ah, looking down, so I need to walk like this with the head bent down. But this will all, uh, only cause um, tensions <coughs> in the neck, can lead to headaches. So no need for that. The head can still be um, straight but just lowering the eyes, looking kind of downwards. Another helpful thing for the walking meditation in regard to posture is the way we hold our arms and hands. So it's good to hold the hands in front of the body, hold, holding them together or one can cross the arms in front of one, the chest, or the same can be done on the back of the body. The point is not to have the arms hanging down loosely on the side of the body. As we are walking, 
the arms may swing a little bit and so this can become kind of a distraction, especially when we get deeper uh, into concentration. And also I have found that holding them loosely on the side, then the, f the hands and the fingers uh, are swelling, also the blood is kind of stuck down there and this may feel uncomfortable. And somehow holding them together in front or in the back of the body, it doesn't cause this swelling of the hands and finger. And also they say that concentration develops more easily when the hands are held in front or the back of the body. So having them loosely down on the side makes concentration uh, a bit more difficult to, to deepen. When it is cold and we are wearing uh, jackets or the trousers, so what I also found it works quite well is to have the hands in the jacket of, no, in the pockets of the jacket, tuck them in there, then tuck nicely stowed somewhere. So then, this much to the more general kind of out of form. So when we have chosen where we do our walking meditation, we stand at one end of our walking path and first of all we can be aware of the standing posture. Being aware that the body is upright, standing, so we can be mindful of this. We can bring the awareness down to the feet, touching the ground, feel the touch sensation or the pressure. So have a few moments of being aware of the standing posture, touch sensations, and then as we start walking, we bring our focus to our feet and as we take one step after the <coughs> other, we are aware of this movement of the foot, the right foot, movement of the left foot, next movement with the right foot and so on, until we come to the other end of our walking path. And there it's good to first stand still, again, bring your mindfulness to the standing posture, few moments, touch sensations, and only after that slowly turn your body, being aware of the fact that you are turning, the body is turning, and then when you finish turning, do not just continue walking, again stand still, taking a few moments of being aware of the standing posture, touching sensations of the feet with the ground, and only after that start walking again. Left, right, left, right, and so on, until you are at the end of your walking path. 
and then the same procedure. And also here in the walking meditation, the mental note can help to be really with that process of taking a step or the foot moving. So when we take the step with the right foot, as it is happening, we just can silently, gently note right. When we take the step with the left foot, left, right, left, right, left, and so on. Once you come to the end and you stand still, you can be aware of the standing posture and at the same time note standing, standing, standing. You bring your awareness to the touch sensation in the feet, touching, 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 maybe again standing, standing, standing. And then as you start turning, being aware of that movement, turning, 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 turning. When you finish, standing, standing, being aware that the body is now standing, still standing upright, touching, touching, touching. And then when you start walking again, when you do a step with the right foot, being aware of that movement and the sensations that take place and at the same time note it right. Step with the left foot, being aware of the movement and sensations, noting left, right, left and so on. And especially in regard to being aware of movements, the mental label also shows whether you are really present with the movement or if you only think, yeah, yeah, I know uh, the foot is moving, but uh, maybe you are already um, anticipating the touch sensation. The mind is already there, but touching is not yet happening, it's still moving. So it shows you whether your mindfulness is really with what is happening. And in order to see more clearly these movements and sensations that are happening when we walk, it's helpful to slow down <coughs> the walking a bit. If you walk in your normal speed, left, right, left, right, left, right. It happens so fast that you are only very generally aware. Yes, uh, left, right, left, right. But to more clearly see what is happening there when the foot is moving and what kind of sensations are present, the slowing down helps uh, very much to see more, to more details. So we can start our walking meditation by just being aware of each step as a whole, as left, right. But then we find, oh yeah, 
you know, when we slow down a bit, yeah, so much is happening and um, we can be more aware in more details. So then we can break down the step into three parts, which are um, the lifting movement. So from when you begin to lift the heel off the ground, lifting the foot and then the toes come also off the ground, a little bit higher up. So this is what we call the lifting. So then we can be aware of these different things are, that are happening while lifting. Then when the foot is lifted high enough, we can move it forward or push it forward. And so that's the second part. Then be aware of this movement or sensations that we feel while pushing the foot forward. And then we need to drop the foot to bring it down. And so then the downward movement is the third part, which we can call dropping. And then that ends when we uh, put the foot on the ground. So we can divide each step into these three parts and then note also with the mental label lifting, lifting, pushing, pushing, dropping, dropping. And again, it's more important to be really aware of the movement when you're lifting and the sensations than just saying the word lifting. But it helps to have it in the back of your mind. Yes, now I'm really aware of the lifting movement and the sensations and with the pushing and with the dropping. And as many as you know, one can divide the step even further, having four parts, then including the touch sensation. So the four parts being lifting, pushing, dropping, touching. Or divided into five parts, including the press, the pressure that comes after touching the floor. So then the five parts are lifting, pushing, dropping, touching, pressing, pressing, which happens by shifting the body, shifting the weight on the foot in the front, and then when you're ready to lift the foot in the back, awareness goes to the foot in the back, so that the lifting movement can be noted. And more parts can be added, intentions can be noted as well, but I don't want to go into detail right now. I will address it uh, later on. And as I said, in the walking meditation, it's not only that we are mindful of the walking, process, but any other object that comes up and stands in the foreground um, becomes also the object in the walking. This can be sounds, can be thoughts, can be emotions, can be uh, 
sensations, painful sensations in the body. So we can note and observe them in the walking as well. If it's just a loud shriek of a bird that pulls the attention there, we just notice hearing, hearing, and then <coughs> just continue with noting the walking. So we keep walking, hearing, hearing, and then just resume. Or a short thought, ah, thinking, thinking. Or a twitch in, in the arm, twitching. If a thought or a noise or a pain is kind of strong and last, doesn't disappear uh, after a moment or two, then it would be better to stop the walking wherever you are, even in the middle of your walking path. Stop and then note the thought, the emotion or um, the sound while you stand. And then when the thought is disappeared or the uh, strong itch, then uh, start walking again. So here you need to see for yourself whether it's okay to keep walking and noting another object or whether it's better to stop and stand still. And so now the mindfulness in the daily activities or the general activities that we carry out throughout the day. So it's daily activities here on retreat and not as some meditators think, ah, oh, at home, what I do at home. No, no, this refers to the activities of eating, getting dressed, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, putting on your jacket, uh, washing your dishes, making a cup of tea, all of this. So what I refer to as mindfulness of daily activities includes everything except the formal sitting and walking meditation. And as I say, it's mostly activities, actions, so we are mostly concerned with movements or touch sensations. So we try to be mindful of each of these movements we do need to make in order to take a toothbrush, of brushing the teeth, of putting on a jacket, of taking a spoonful of rice, of opening a door, of closing a door. So, many movements and touch sensations. And so, that we can be really more mindful of these movements, that we really are aware that the hand is being stretched out or that the jaw is moving while chewing the food. Also here it's helpful to slow down these activities, these movements. Because we do these activities every day, since 30, 40, 50, 80 years, 
they have become highly habitual. We just do them and usually we run on automatic pilot, we do them unmindfully. And so to really bring mindfulness into these um, habitual actions can be a challenge, can be the most difficult part of the whole uh, practice here. And again here, the slowing down of these movements helps to take you out of doing them habitually, automatically or unmindfully. Already the fact that you at least try to do them a bit slower than usual brings already more awareness to these um, actions and movements. And so to bring more mindfulness, more presence of mind into these movements, especially here, the labeling helps. It's some effort to note stretching, stretching, touching, pulling, pulling. But really, this effort helps to, to bring the mindfulness in there, to train yourself to be mindful with these activities. And it really helps mm, strengthening the mindfulness, and it also helps deepening concentration. So, mostly movements, activities, but also here, other experiences are not excluded, like thoughts or pains or emotions, whatever. But, you know, only pay attention to thoughts and other objects when they are really very strong and dominant. Because otherwise, um, you know, you might not finish uh, uh, your shower if you stand under the shower there and oh, thinking, 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 anger, anger, frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, you know, put them aside and pay attention to the activities and finish what you're doing. And of course, when I say in regard to the slowing down, uh, toilet and shower, please be considerate. <laughs> You're sharing these fa facilities with others. So there, a more general awareness is appropriate. <coughs> so, these are the instructions for our Vipassana uh, meditation. Stop here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.